Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let me ask you what might be somewhat of a difficult question. How would you like to be remembered when you're gone? Most people make do with a tombstone or some such other grave marker, maybe a few photographs and other detritus from a life. But maybe you did something exceptional, something that extends beyond just your family and friends. My dad was mayor of my tiny hometown on the Canadian prairies and was instrumental in the development of a tourist area. And for that, he had a street in the town named after him, which is kind of cool. Others have schools named after them, buildings, airports, whole towns and cities and countries and even continents. North America, for example, is named after an Italian cartographer named Amerigo Vespucci. You get the idea. Another way to achieve this sort of immortality is to have something in nature named in your honor. Turns out that this is a great way to pay tribute to rock stars. Sit tight. We're going to spend the next hour learning a few Latin terms. This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and I'm going all science guy on this edition of the Ongoing History of New Music because we are going to jump into the exciting world of scientific nomenclature. Wait, 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 where are you going? No, hang on, hang on. This, this, is, this is actually going to be fun. Sit down. Let, let, let me explain what's going to happen here. The Bible says that Adam named all the species on the planet and that he did it in about half a day. This is what the literalists believe. But Adam couldn't have possibly named everything, right? Did he even know about the bacteria he couldn't see? Today, there were firm rules about naming the living things on this planet, and these rules can be traced to a guy named Carl Linnaeus, a Swedish scientist who came up with the idea of using Latin for naming and classifying things, both living and dead. He called this taxonomy. Latin is perfect for this because it's a dead language. It's not used by anyone or anything but the scientific community and therefore completely neutral. No one can get offended or upset by the use of Latin names. And once affixed, we can agree internationally on these official scientific names. Now, these rules have been standardized over the decades by international codes that cover everything from bacteria to whales and from extinct species hundreds of millions of years old to the newest bug found in the intestine of a snake in the Amazon. One of the rules is that whoever finds a new thing is allowed to give it a name as long as they follow the standard nomenclature rules. And should a scientist or whoever so desire, he or she can choose to name their discovery after a famous person or group. And that's what I want to talk about first. Consider this part music history and part biology class. And please forgive me for the inevitable mispronunciation of these things because Latin often defeats me. We begin with the lowly trilobite, one of the planet's most successful early animals. We think that there were at least 17,000 different types of these beetle-like things plying the oceans beginning over 500 million years ago, and we think they survived more than 270 million years. Okay, that's a lot of trilobites, which means we need a lot of names. In 1995, a new version of trilobite was discovered near Nunavut, and it will forever be known as a Grotocellus jaggeri, after Mick Jagger. Why? Don't know. Maybe the discoverers considered him to be a fossil, too. The same scientists, a couple of dudes named Adrian and Edgecombe, who found that trilobite, also found another one, and they called it P. 
Parahatalus Richards Eye after Keith Richards. And just so you don't think that these guys are picking on the Rolling Stones, there's also four species of trilobite named after the Ramones. Macanzerus Joeyi, Johnnyi, Didii, and CJI. And the Sex Pistols will not be left out of this discussion. All five members of the Sex Pistols also have their own trilobite species. Arctica Lime Rotteni, Cookei, Jonesei, Matlockei, and even Viciouseei. And yeah, that was Adrian and Edgecombe too. The Sex Pistols, who along with the Ramones and half the Rolling Stones, have a species of ancient trilobites named after them. Now, let's move on to insects. In 2012, a single female specimen of a previously unknown type of wasp was captured along a nature trail in Thailand. And so far, this is the only example anyone has ever found of this wasp. It is now known as Eliotes gaga, after Lady Gaga, of course. And yes, the, uh, the wasp does have kind of a blonde color to it. Now, speaking of wasps, there's Metallic Pneumon Neurospastoarchus, which you can probably guess is named after Metallica. Neurospastoarchus translate as Master of Puppets, which describes the nasty way the wasp's larva deals with insects on which it feeds. Here's one more wasp. Presicolia, I'm all shook up us. You get no hints on that one. Now to a very cooperative type of spider. It's the velvet spider, which can be found throughout Europe, Asia, and Africa. In 2012, an international group of biologists who have made it their life's work to study velvet spiders discovered a brand new genus. Unlike his relatives, this guy likes to live underground. You can see where this is going. It took about five seconds for someone to connect the words velvet and underground, and that's why this species is called Luridia anulipes. And I'm sure that Lou Reed was very, very touched. And what Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground, the inspiration for the scientific name given to a particular type of velvet spider that lives underground. Lou's friend David Bowie has his own spider, Heteropoda David Bowie, which lives in Malaysia. It's described as being large, yellow, and hairy. There's a Pink Floyd spider called Pink Floydia. And Frank Zappa also has a spider named after him, Pachygnatha Zappa. It's found in the mountainous regions of Cameroon. Two Belgian biologists found it and thought its markings looked a lot like Frank's mustache. Now, it just so turns out that Frank Zappa is especially popular with scientists. He also has a jellyfish named after him, Fiaella zappii, a mudskipper, which is an amphibious fish with big googly eyes, an ancient shellfish, a Moratoma zappii, and a small species of extinct mammals from the Miocene age, Valeris zappii. Not surprisingly, those ancient mammals are ancestors of today's weasel which, if you're a big Frank Zappa fan, will make all kinds of sense. But back to spiders for just a second. There's a type of nocturnal spider that lives in the desert. It digs a hole 
and then pulls a cover over it to create a burrow. And then when an unsuspecting bit of prey comes too close, the spider leaps out, injects it with venom, and drags it back into the hole. There are seven species of this trapdoor spider. One is named after Angelina Jolie. Draw whatever conclusions you would like about that. But a particularly rare version, in fact so rare that only one male and female pair have ever been found. They are native to the Joshua Tree National Forest. It is called Aptosticus bonoi, after Bono, of course, and the whole Joshua Tree album. You too with Bono, who has a vicious little spider named after him living somewhere in the Joshua Tree National Forest in California. That album was, of course, co-produced by Brian Eno, and he has a spider named after him, Pseudocorina Brian Eno. I am not making any of this up. We will spend a little bit more time with biological things in just a second, but we're not going to stop there because, um, well, you'll see what I mean. Hold on. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. We are back looking at a specific intersection of music and science. How musicians and bands end up having things named after them. The Beatles have a marine worm named after them. It's called Griefiella beetlei. It has shaggy fur, which seemed to remind scientists of the Beatles' haircuts. They're not the only band with a worm. Sepultura, the Brazilian heavy metal band, has one, as does King Diamond. So does Lemmy from Motorhead. His worm is about 428 million years old, and it was given its name by Dr. Mats Eriksson, a professor of paleontology in Sweden, and it is called Caloprion Kimsteri. What about a death metal worm? Well, in 2017, Derek Armstrong, an Ontario geologist, discovered the fossil of an ancient worm with giant snapping jaws. This was one mean worm. He called it Webster O'Brien Armstrongi. Now, the second half of the name belongs to Armstrong. You can name it after himself if you want. But the first part is derived from Alex Webster, the bass player for the band Cannibal Corpse. Again, like I said, it was a really mean worm. Researchers at Harvard spent long nights looking for new plants in Ecuador when they found a night bloom flower that no one had ever seen before. And because they were listening to Green Day the whole time, they called their discovery Macrocarpedia dies veritas. Dies veritas is Latin for Green Day. Michael Jackson has an extinct hermit crab named after him. Only one of its kind of its genus. And since Michael Jackson was kind of a... Well, there you go. And if I were Bob Marley and I were still alive... I don't know if I'd be too happy about this. In 2002, a tiny new crustacean was found in the Caribbean around the U.S. Virgin Islands. It hides inside sea sponges, algae, and amongst dead coral. And it's a parasite that feeds solely off the blood of specific fish. The French grunt fish is a favorite. It was first found by a marine biologist named Paul Sickle. He gave it to a South African member of his research team named Nico Smith, who confirmed that this was a brand new species. And together, they decided on the name Gnathia marleyi, after Bob, of course. Okay, I get the Caribbean connection, which, which is fine. Um, 
but would you want to be immortalized with a parasite that feeds off something called a gruntfish? Oh, how about this? Joe Strummer died in 2002. In 2014, his name was affixed to a snail. Yes, a snail. Elvini conca is a species of spiky-looking golf-ball-sized sea snails that hang out near hydrothermal vents in the deep ocean. These guys live at depths of almost 12,000 feet. It's dark, it's hot, it's acidic, and generally extreme. But it's for these very reasons that a new species of Elvani conca should be named Strummer-Eye. Tough buggers. I'm sure Joe would be pleased. I think. The ice is coming, the sun's zooming in. Meltdown expected, the wheat is good in. Engines stop running, but I have no fear. Cause London is drowning, I live by the river. To the imitation zone. Joe Strummer, forever ingrained into scientific nomenclature thanks to a deep sea snail living at a depth of about 12,000 feet. Not all new species are named after famous musicians. A type of sea snail found in the Pacific off Easter Island is known as Despressizona exorum after a punk band from the Netherlands called The X. There's got to be a story behind that. I have no idea what it is. But anyway, the band was quite chuffed and they, they actually featured a snail on their 2003 album Turn as a result. If we go into the jungles of Colombia, we need the swamps and marshes, of course, we might encounter Dendrosophus stingi. This is a species of tree frog that was named after Sting when it was discovered in 1994. Why would they name it that? Well, to honor Sting's efforts in trying to save the rainforests of South America, of course. And Radiohead has their own ant. In 2017, two researchers from the Smithsonian Institute's Ant Lab, and yes, there is such a thing, were poking around the Venezuelan jungle when they chanced upon a hitherto unknown species of ant. These little guys are fungus farmers who busily work on the jungle floor. Little environmentalists, actually. So the researchers decided to call them Siricomorex radioheadi. Radiohead with Lotus Flower from their 2011 album King of Limbs, and they've got their own ant on the floor of the Venezuelan jungle. All right, what else we got? Well, James Brown has a mite named after him. Yes, a mite. Jerry Garcia has a roach named after him. You can see where that came from. Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits has his own dinosaur, which is kind of cool. University of British Columbia microbiologist Patrick Keeling was part of a team of scientists who discovered some new microbes. And these new microbes were, wait for it, in the guts of a little-known species of termite. He was fascinated by the abundance and length of their flagella, which are the thread cells the little buggers used to move around. And he decided that they reminded him of Rush back in the 1970s. And now, forevermore, these Pseudocrytron nympha species will be known as P. Lei, P. Lifesonii, and P. Pirtai. And it's the last one that's creating the most excitement because it has unusual rotating intracellular structures of unknown functions. Kind of how Neil plays drums, you know? Okay, we're going to get back to Russia a little later on. Greg Graffin of Bad Religion has 
Kiliania graffini, which is a bird that lived in China about 120 million years ago. He's a paleontologist by training, so that's a huge honor for him. Meanwhile, I wonder what Henry Rollins thinks of the fact that he has a jellyfish named after him. Amphenema Rollinsi. Speak to Chad Widmer of Monterey Bay Aquarium. He's the guy who, who did it. He's a big Rollins fan. Seriously, he is. He thought, wow, Hank would love a jellyfish named after him. And it's not the only Rollins-related organism. In 2015, a scientist at the University of Bristol found an extinct worm. We're back to worms again. With a particularly muscular structure. That reminded him of Hank. And therefore, this worm will be forever known as Rollins Keita Myopina. The Rollins Band, featuring Henry, of course, a guy whose name was given to a jellyfish and a worm. All right, I think we've exhausted this subject for life on Earth for the time being, but what about stuff that's out there? That's coming up next. Now, back to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. So far, we've talked about scientists who have invoked the names of famous musicians to newly claimed discovered species. But... This isn't the only area of scientific nomenclature where this happens. I would like to move to the realm of astronomy. There may be millions of things to name down here on Earth, but in space, there were billions and trillions and quadrillions of things that are just begging for labels. The International Astronomical Union is in charge of setting the rules for naming things in space. Stars, for example, are almost never named after people. There are about two dozen exceptions to that rule, but that's it. So if you ever fell for that infomercial that promised to name a star after a loved one with the help of the International Star Registry, you've been took. There is nothing official about that. But while stars may be off limits, asteroids are fair game. If you discover a brand new asteroid, then you get to name it, pending approval from the International Astronomical Union, of course. It used to be that asteroids were the domain of classical musicians, but that has changed in the last few decades. Officially, these are called minor planets. In 1998, a rock somewhere between 4 and 9 kilometers in diameter was charted by astronomers at Reedy Creek Observatory in Australia, a place that spends a lot of time looking for near-Earth objects. It was given the name 8749 Beetles. It's out there beyond the orbit of Mars, and just so you know, all four beetles also have individual asteroids named after them as well, which is sort of a rarity. I know of only two other bands with that honor. Every single member of Rush has their own asteroid, 19155 Lifeson, 12272 Getty Lee, and 24469 Neil Peart. All three were discovered by the same guy in 2007 at Mount Palomar Observatory in California. Any idea what the other group is that has asteroids named after all the members? The Bee Gees. Eric Clapton, Brian Wilson, ZZ Top, yes, Bruce Springsteen, and Jimmy Page are among those with their own pieces of space rock. And so is, wait for it, Ramstein. The official name of their rock is 110393 Ramstein. It's not that big, about six kilometers at most, and it's not very bright. It's about one fifty thousandth of the dimmest thing that we can see with the naked eye. Um, but then again, we are talking about this band. Du, du hast, du hast mich, du hast mich, 
Ramstein, the namesakes of a minor planet that's somewhere between Mars and Jupiter. Like I said, the guy who discovers these things gets to name it, and in this case, it was Jean-Claude Merlin at an observatory in Le Creusot, France. The International Astronomical Union also sets down rules for naming things like craters and mountain ranges and other planets and moons. On our moon, craters are generally named after deceased scientists, scholars, explorers, and artists. There are thousands of craters, so we need thousands of names. Michael Jackson is up there. You can see it in the Lake of Dreams with a moderately powered home telescope. It's about 1,200 acres in size. The rule for Mars is similar. Dead scientists and writers who have contributed to the study and lore of Mars. Paul Stanley of Kiss has a Martian crater named after him, but uh, notice that he's neither dead nor a scientist nor anyone who has really anything to do with Mars, but still that seems to be official. Venus? Well, it's very tough to see anything through that murky atmosphere, but scientists have agreed that if they do spot anything, it has to be named after females, goddesses and the like. That's it for the asteroids and the rocky planets, except for Mercury. The rule for craters on Mercury is that they must be named after, quote, famous deceased artists, musicians, painters, and authors. Now, we're still finding our way around Mercury, so the naming of craters hasn't gone much beyond maybe a hundred. And those names have been mostly confined to classical personalities. That, however, has begun to change. In December 2013, the people running the Messenger spacecraft on its mission to Mercury suggested that one crater about 95 kilometers in diameter be named after John Lennon. The IAU agreed, and now we have Crater Lennon on Mercury. But that wasn't the first time John has been so honored. In 2009, the John Lennon Peace Crater was designated in an area of the Lake of Dreams, same neighborhood as Michael Jackson's crater. If you look at a full moon, it's in the upper right-hand quadrant. Somewhere in that area is a six-kilometer-wide impact crater. That's John. And let me tell you something, this is pretty rare. Very, very few people get moon craters named after them. John Lennon and Michael Jackson are in the same company as Leonardo da Vinci, Christopher Columbus, Isaac Newton, Jules Verne, and Julius Caesar. So says the International Lunar Geographic Society. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you will join us And the world Our Lady Peace, covering John Lennon. Think about that crater and that song the next time you see a full moon. Back in a sec. More of the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. There was one more bit of scientific nomenclature that I'd like to cover before we leave, and it's probably the most coveted of all honors that could be bestowed on a person, and that would be having your name affixed to an element. Now, the last time I checked in with my particle accelerator friends, scientists had discovered four new elements, which means some major changes to the seventh row of the periodic table. Using these particle accelerators, existing elements were bombarded with subatomic particles in hopes of jamming more protons and neutrons into a nucleus, thereby creating a brand new element. And the results of these particular experiments 
resulted in elements 113, 115, 117, and 118. None of these synthetic elements last very long. They do not exist in nature normally. They are so unstable that they wink out of existence in a second or less, but their creation helps scientists understand more about the fundamental structure and behavior of the building blocks of nature. Now, once again, scientific nomenclature tradition says that the discoverers of the new elements get to give them names. So for a while, these elements just had placeholder designations, but they were eventually given permanent names. Element 113 is called Nihonium, based on the word Nihon, which is a common name for Japan, which is a fair cop since the co-discoverers were all Japanese. Element 115 is called Muscovium, for a similar reason. And element 117 is called Tennessean. But element 118 is different. It's called Oganisan, after Yuri Oganisian, a nuclear physicist who was integral in its discovery. He is the only other living human with an element named after him. And if you know that the other element is Ciborium, which is element number 106, you need to get out more. Now, there was a petition to have a heavy metal element named after Lemmy of Motorhead once he passed. This failed for a couple of reasons. First of all, the rules regarding the naming of a new element say that its name must come from a mythological concept, a mineral, a place, a country, property, or scientist. Musician does not count. That would be against the rules. But the second problem is even more fundamental. This petition was inspired by the idea that an actual heavy metal element be named after Lemmy. And with atomic weights between 113 and 118, these new elements are the heaviest yet discovered. Perfect. Awesome. Sounds great. However, if we look at the periodic table, you'll see that these new elements occupy space on the right-hand side. That's the area of the table reserved for non-metals. Actual metal elements are grouped on the left side of the table. Reading deeper into the periodic table, we see that number 117 is a halogen, while number 118 is a noble gas. They, therefore, are not heavy metals. All right, well, what about the others? Element 113 and 115 are grouped on either side of the previously discovered fluorovium, atomic weight 114, which, under very specific chemical and reactive circumstances, may behave somewhat like a metal. It is related to lead, but it's not enough to make it a real metal. So where does that leave elements number 113 and 115? Number 113 appears to be distantly related to aluminum, but it is predicted to show transitional metal properties. Metal 115 is a post-transition element at best. So, in other words, 113, 115, 117, and 118 are not heavy metals in the way Lemmy fans want them to be. Nice try. Back to the particle accelerator. If you're new to this program, this probably isn't the kind of thing that you were expecting, was it? But uh, it is that kind of show. You never know where the topics will lead you. We can discuss this or anything else you fancy on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Google+, and you can email me at any time. I would love to hear from some particle physicists. And if you're looking for a truly different sort of music website, try mine, a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. Oh, and if you want this to listen to again, and why wouldn't you, it is available as a podcast. Get them at iTunes. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston, and I'm Alan Cross. Thank you.
You've been listening to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play. 